Welcome to Enigmatic Metallic Podcast, where we respect fashion's past, analyze fashion's present, and get excited about fashion's future. I'm Liberty Ampop, founder and creative principal of fashion media company Manic Metallic. Once a week, we'll bring you episodes about exciting things happening in fashion, discussion about current things facing the industry, and the places and people that have made the fashion industry great. We'll have a mixture of episodes with guest interviews and solo episodes, all designed to challenge your assumption of what fashion is, who it is for, and who can participate in this industry. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Instagram at the Metapathology Podcast and at Metapathology. We'll link in our show notes. Now, let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to the Manic Metallic Podcast. I'm Liberty, your host. For episode 44, we have a fascinating conversation with Jen Sideri, a fashion industry veteran who recently started AngelForFashion.com, a multi-brand fashion e-commerce website created to support Ukrainian designers and their companies in surviving the war. Before her recent efforts with the Ukrainian fashion industry, she was previously the head of sales for Vivian Westwood's American division and was the head of Zappos Couture. Needless to say, Jen has a wealth of knowledge about the fashion industry, and she shared a lot of that with us on this episode. Let's welcome Jen to the Medic Metallic Podcast. Jen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for being on. So for our listeners, could you give them just a summary, one to two sentences, what you do with fashion and what your involvement is? with the industry? Um, so I've been in fashion for about, sadly, 30 years now. I've worked at a ton of companies. I was the head of the luxury website for Zappos for about seven years. I went on to be the president of Vivian Westwood America. And then now I am currently working with Ukrainian brands. And I have a website called Angel for Fashion that has 33 of them to help them survive the war crisis. So you're clearly doing a lot and have done a lot. And we'll get to asking a few more questions about that further on in the podcast. To start, though, I'd like to talk a bit about you and your life. Just tell us a bit about how you got interested in being in the fashion industry and how And if that was inspired at some point during your early life, like your childhood, teenage years. Yeah, of course. I've always been quite interested in fashion. I think I was like the president of my fashion careers class in grade school even. So I've loved fashion since a young age. My grandfather actually had a very famous clothing store on the Country Club Plaza in Kansas City. He was one of the first retailers in that area. So maybe I guess it's in my blood. And then I've always loved fashion. I've made my mom buy me things that she couldn't afford, even some Gucci things (laughs) from a young age, sadly. But she was very, very supportive of that. And then I went to college in Los Angeles at the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising. So I've just always been very, very focused into the fashion industry. I see. So taking that early interest in fashion, being president of your fashion careers group, and extorting your mom for luxury items. (laughs) No kidding. No kidding. In doing that, 
when you finished with school, how, because I assume that that's when you got started with the industry, I could be wrong. When did you, I, I should say, in what direction did you go in order to get into the industry to get your first position? Well, I mean, to be completely honest with you, I did not finish college. I was a very bad girl. Um, I went okay. to college. Yeah, I went to college in Los Angeles for a year. My first semester, I got a three five. My second semester, I got a one nine. So my mom always said that I majored in underground parties because <sighs> it was the early nineties, right? So. I was quite crazy going to underground events and things when they first started. So I ended up coming back to Kansas City, my hometown, and I was working at some small boutiques there, which was cool and fun. But I, of course, wanted something bigger. So there was a department store called Halls in Kansas City. It's owned by Hallmark Cards. Very beautiful stores, like similar at the time to like Bergdorf Goodman. So they had placed an ad for an assistant manager and I literally went to apply for this position and I walk in and the girl behind the counter said, are you interested in shoes or cosmetics? And at the time I didn't wear makeup. So I said shoes and that's kind of how I started in the footwear industry. So I got this job as an assistant manager at one of their stores there. So kind of a crazy start, I guess, to my career. Okay. And so when you got that position, what kind of experience did you get in working with shoes and how did that launch you further into your career? You know, it's funny. They had two stores in the mall, a men's and women's shoe store, which I had never worked in footwear before. I really knew nothing about it. But I had a really smart buyer at the time. So he kind of helped me start to like become passionate about the industry of footwear. So I ran those two stores for a couple of years. Then I was moved to their store downtown. And then I was moved to manage the shoe salon at their premier store, which carried Prada and Donald Pliner and all these really kind of upscale brands. So I did that for quite some time. And then this woman was the buyer. She was leaving and I was applying for the position. And I remember the president of the company at the time did not think I was ready for this job, right? Because I had started when I was a kid. So they still kind of thought I was a kid. But thankfully, this woman really helped convince him that I was the right person. And then I had some great, amazing, even some of the brands gave me this, you know, saying like, oh, Jen should do it, blah, blah, blah. Even people like Stuart Weitzman had called the president of the company to say that I should be the new buyer. Oh, wow. You got an endorsement from Stuart Weitzman. Very cool. I did. It was pretty cool. And so I thankfully got the position and I was the buyer for all four locations at the time. And I ended up working at Halls for 12 years, actually. It was crazy because at the time it was a third of my life. And then I knew if I really wanted to go somewhere in fashion, I was going to have to leave Kansas City. So I started looking for positions 
outside of KC, but I have to tell you that was not easy because people would not take me seriously because our volume was not that big. You know, it was only a few million dollars a year. Right. So I would get on interviews with, let's just say, like, I, I think there was one with Saks Fifth Avenue. And once I told them my volume, they like hung up the interview on me. That's awful. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, they just didn't think that I could buy for their size volume. So I kind of was really frustrated and thought, I'm never going to get out of Kansas City. And then that's when I got the call from Zappos asking me to come out to Las Vegas and interview. It was wild. And I even remember asking them, hey, like, um, how did you guys find me? And I guess they were about to hire this guy and they called his references and three of the four references said, oh, well, he's pretty cool, but we think that you would want to work with Jen more. So Uh not kidding, not kidding. That's how I got the job at Zappos. It's wild. So I have a question. And so this guy's references were basically like, yeah, he's cool, but have you heard of Jen Sideri? You should work with her. You had the same references. Right. Can you? Or like, can you, you well, I mean, it's a small industry. You know, I would say to everyone that's listening, the key to my success has been one of two things. One, it's people and developing relationships with people. My dad taught me to never burn any bridges. And you really do have to develop this kind of amazing relationship to get people to like you. And then I feel like the second thing for me was just actually showing up. A lot of people are flaky and they call in sick or whatever. And I was always ready to work when I came to work and I always went to work. So it seems real basic, but I have to tell you, it's key to your success in the future. You know what? It seems basic, but a lot of people don't do basics these days very well. Anyway, Well, they didn't then either. Let me tell you. So yeah, that's how I got the position at Zappos. I mean, I literally was about to accept a position with Bergdorf Goodman at the time. And I chose Zappos instead because I figured that I would learn something new. I mean, this was 2007. So basically nobody was doing a lot of business online and certainly not selling footwear online that much. So I took this position to learn more about e-commerce. And I'll say that was probably a smart move considering that the internet was probably about a decade or so in at that point. Yes. Yeah. But it still wasn't being utilized nearly to its fullest potential. So it was almost like, you were taking a chance that, oh, you know what? E-commerce is going to blow up and it's going to end up being a fortuitous move for me. But I think that turning down Bergdorf's to go to Zappos is definitely an interesting move. And it worked out. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I really did want to work at Bergdorf Goodman. And I did actually very much want to move to New York way more than moving to Las Vegas. Okay. But I do think that I made the right choice at the time, picking Zappos instead. So that's how I ended up in Vegas. So Vegas is somewhere that I have absolutely no familiarity with whatsoever. So 
What's fashion like out there? Uh, not so cute. I mean, I, you know, I didn't love living in Vegas. I mean, of course I loved the 300 days of sunshine, a hundred percent, but it was certainly not my favorite town, but I did very much love my job at Zappos. I really just started out as the footwear buyer on the couture site, buying about half the brands on the website. And then in the seven years I was there, I ended up running the site, growing it from two people to, I think it was like 16 people. And we added brands and I took the site from, I think it was like 15 million to a hundred million in the seven years I was there. So I was super focused on work more than Las Vegas. Well, I mean, that's probably a good thing if you're in Sin City. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. So when you were at Zappos, I looked at your website and just took a stroll through some of the press that you've gotten over the years. And it looks like when you were in a position, you met a lot of interesting characters. So could you talk a bit about a couple of them? Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, I would say the most exciting probably part of my position at Zappos was when I brokered the deal to hire Andre Leon Talley as our creative director for the website. His team had reached out to us and I ended up even working on the whole contract with a guy who was his talent agent. And he was a bit like Ari Gold, I felt like. It was a very crazy contract to work on. But I have to say working with Andre was certainly the most incredible time of my career. And then I did at the same time spend a lot of time working with the team at Vivian Westwood. And I did meet Vivian and her husband, Andreas. And that's how I ended up getting my position with Vivian Westwood when I left Zappos. Right. So I I actually want to talk about both of these characters. But first, yeah, yeah, Andre is, or I should say was, unfortunately, rest in peace. Andre was, yeah, Andre was a very eccentric person, very knowledgeable, very smart, but also very eccentric. What was it like working closely with him? Like, what was he like as a person? You know, he was so incredible. If he liked you, he would be the most loyal person that you would have in your life. And of course, he knew everyone. He was also like this amazing encyclopedia for fashion. I mean, you could show the guy a dress and he'd be like, that came down the runway, fall, in 2019 in Paris, I mean, it was, you couldn't even believe his, I guess, memory of fashion. And of course, at his house, he had like a room full of books. So he was always reading and just some really incredible relationships too that guy had. I mean, I remember one time we were having, he and I were having a meeting with the upper management team at Mark Jacobs and literally we're sitting in the waiting room and like Mark Jacobs walks out and doesn't even know that Andre's there and is like, oh, hey, Andre, what's up? And Andre's like, what's up, Mark? And then Andre looks at Mark and says, oh my God, I want you to, meet my new boss. He's like, Jen, this is Mark. Mark, this is Jen. And I was just like, I was dead. I was dead. Because I thought, 
what an incredible way to meet Marc Jacobs. But really what meant more to me was that Andre respected me enough to introduce me to Marc Jacobs as his boss, right? Like that's, that's where like my career could have ended and I would have been like, okay, I did it, right? You could have died happy. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have been fine right then. Yeah, that's such a fantastic moment. I mean, that's the type of thing where, as you said, once your career ends, once you're on your fashion deathbed, you're like, wow, I really reached the top there. I worked with Andre yeah. Leontali. He introduced me to Mark Jacobs. As his boss. I was like, damn, I love this. So yeah, yeah. it was exciting. Exciting times for sure. Yeah, like I said, that sounds like it was a really awesome experience. Now, you mentioned that you also worked with Vivian Westwood. And then, of course, you went on to be the president of sales for the U.S. division for Vivian Westwood. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was a pretty insane moment as well. I mean, to leave, you know, this incredible company, Zappos, and my next position is, is that was absolutely incredible. And I mean, really, I lived through some very unconventional company cultures. So Zappos was obviously very unconventional. And then, of course, the cast of characters that is Vivian Westwood is quite amazing, too. So I've always had this very non-traditional fashion experience, but I really like that. So, yeah, Vivian. And the late Vivian, we lost her, too. I mean, we lost her and Andre, like, in the same year, I think, sadly. So yeah, when I went to work at Vivian Westwood, I mean, it was definitely an unusual, crazy cast of characters there too, just like at Zappos. So I've been quite lucky, I think, to work in this very unconventional fashion setting with some very fun people. What would you say that one of your favorite moments is from being able to work with Vivian and Andres? You know, gosh, it's hard to say. I mean, Vivian was such a visionary. Fashion wasn't really her only passion. In fact, when I started working with her, she was more about climate revolution and saving the planet and all the different messages that she portrayed in her fashion. I mean, she definitely taught me that all politicians are criminals. That was a slogan on some of her fashion. That's hilarious. Um, so she did kind of, yeah, she, but it is true, right? Like, I mean, I do think maybe they go into politics with the best of intentions, but they, the system certainly corrupts them. And I mean, we should be worried about climate change and saving the planet. So I would say that she had this bigger message is, I mean, maybe it's what ended up ultimately kind of leading me to my work with Ukraine. Because I started to feel that I wanted to be doing something more than just selling clothes or shoes or whatever. Right. So I would say that's probably the most incredible thing that she taught me. And her husband, Andreas, is literally an incredible guy. And I don't think anyone needs to be worried about her memory and legacy living on through Andreas Controller because 
He's been working with her for so long and he certainly wants to keep her vision alive, which is great. That is great. She was such a, just such a trailblazer. And I I have a way of describing her, a trailblazer and the hellraiser. All meant with the best of Mm -hmm. She was. She was. I mean, definitely not so much of a hellraiser, like toward the end, you know? Right. she was this actually quite like sweet lady who I know up until maybe a year ago was literally riding her push bike to work in London. So a very vibrant soul for sure. Yeah, I think that the fashion world overall, but especially the British fashion scene certainly owes a lot to Vivian and her memory. So yeah, definitely hope that Andreas can keep that going. Oh, he will. I have no doubt. I just saw him actually a couple weeks ago. They were having a dinner in Paris and I just saw him at the dinner. So. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Hope you, yeah, hope you're doing well. So let's switch gears and talk a bit, and, and talk a bit about the work that you're doing with Ukrainian designers. You're the founder of Angel for Fashion. It's an e-commerce website that was basically started, I believe, after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Am I right? And that's to help Ukrainian designers to get their work out there and keep going. Yes. Yeah. So I first went to Ukraine in November of 2020 to visit some friends. And I started working with the Ukrainian fashion industry soon after I got there. So I had been working with a lot of these brands before the war, kind of helping them export to foreign marketplaces. But yes, since the war, we did launch angelforfashion.com. About four days into the war, Alina Kacharovska, this woman who owns this incredible footwear brand on the website, called me from a bomb shelter and asked me how she was going to continue to sell her two stores worth of inventory. And she had a factory full of raw materials. And so I woke up the next day thinking I should start a multi-brand Ukrainian website. And within 30 days, we launched with 30 brands, a custom website, and over 800 products. So how did you do that so quickly? How did you pull that together? It seems like one of those moments where you have this person, this designer asking you a question, and then you wake up the next morning with an idea. It's like the idea was thrown down to you from the stars or something while you slept. So how would you pull it together so quickly? Well, I mean, I had actually thought about it in December of 2020, when I started meeting all these brands. But at the time, I wasn't sure how I would pull it off. I guess when you're under pressure, and you need something to launch, you kind of just make it happen. I had some friends here in Barcelona that recommended an agency to help me build the website. Thankfully, these guys kind of dropped what they were doing to build this custom site for us. And then thankfully, I had brought home from New York a very famous fashion designer named Valerie Kolvalska. She happened to be in New York at the same time I was there when the war broke out. So I brought her home as a refugee. And she actually slept on my couch for about a month during that time. So she was quite instrumental in helping me contact all the designers and explain to them in Ukrainian 
if they didn't speak great English, what the site was about and how everything would work. So I can tell you, I didn't sleep very much in those 30 days. I can imagine. Yeah. But yeah, I'm always fascinated in hearing people's stories when they start companies where you get this idea, it all comes together so quickly. It doesn't always happen that way. I know that a lot of businesses tend to be more slow burning, but the fact that this one came together so quickly, obviously with the help of a lot of other people involved, but I imagine it had to because you had this Russian invasion that was happening very quickly and you had to do something to be able to help these designers to continue their livelihoods. And also one thing that I was thinking about before we hopped onto the podcast is I remember when the Russian invasion happened and it was actually during, I believe it was during Milan Fashion Week last year. And probably, yeah, yeah, I believe it was during Milan Fashion Week. And there were a lot of people wondering, okay, should fashion actually be continuing right now? We're having Fashion Weeks and Ukraine's being invaded. So there's this feeling, and we actually did an episode on it talking about it for the Manic Metallic podcast, what do fashion people actually do in times of crises? How do we help? And you found a very tangible way of helping using your skill set. So, Yeah, I mean, definitely, I'm sure at the time people probably thought that maybe it was not the coolest thing to do, right? It's like thinking about business and launching a website. But actually, it's so important. And people have even talked to me and said, I don't know of any other case in the history of fashion where somebody started a recovery effort, basically, to a war-torn country. I mean, I started building this five days into the war. And, you know, it is just so key to them winning the war on multiple fronts. Not only to win, of course, the war on the front line, but their businesses have to continue. And considering most fighting on the front line are guys and most of the people in the fashion industry are women, it is even more important for them to keep their jobs and be able to provide for their families. So it was certainly the coolest thing I've ever done. But I have to tell you, when I was in it and I was making it happen, I literally was like, how am I doing this? And what was I thinking? If I had time to think about it, I probably wouldn't have done it. Well, you took a chance and that chance paid off. And I'm sure also that your extensive experience with e-commerce and Zappos probably came in handy here. I mean, you ran a luxury e-commerce website, like you'd already done this before. So I know that It was probably, not probably, it was a lot of work getting Angel for Fashion up and going, but it's something that you weren't exactly inexperienced in doing. Correct, correct, yeah. From what you can see, what has been the impact, if you could describe it, what's been the impact that you've seen Angel for Fashion having in the lives of these designers? I know that you have a lot of Ukrainian designers on the website, they're selling a lot of work. What are some of the things that you've been able to do with these designers to help them? I mean, I would say the biggest thing really is, I mean, they were in a very tough situations, right? 
the first 30 days of the war were critical. The bombing was constant. So I would probably say the biggest thing it did was show these designers that they can reopen their businesses immediately. I mean, I know many of them had shut down their websites, which they soon reopened around the same time that I launched, we call it AFF. And that's a huge thing. I mean, I know when I was even launching it, we did a exclusive article in the New York Times. And I think the reporter even asked me, how are you going to ship product from this war-torn country? There's literally no air travel, right? And I was quite nervous too, because the biggest thing I learned at Zappos is obviously customer experience and customer service. So I knew if these clients didn't get their packages, we wouldn't be around for long. But thankfully, there's a local shipper in Ukraine called Nova Posta, and they are successfully taking packages even from the center of the country in Kyiv. And then they go ground, obviously, through the country, and then they hit the air when they hit Poland. So, I see. you know, just kind of getting these brands to show them like, hey, we can still move forward and we can move forward now. And then probably the other piece has just been, they haven't really all been on one website before. So it has kind of created this really cool Ukrainian fashion alliance between many of the designers that weren't really collaborating or friends are now actually doing business together. So it's been a really cool thing all around. And yes, I mean, we launched in April. So our birthday is right here now. Oh, excellent. Happy birthday. And the fact that mm-hmm. you've been able to come for a year yeah. doing this. It's amazing. When, well, considering I have no investor, it has certainly been a labor of love. It's key for me to make sure the designers get as much of the money as they can get. So I literally only take 15% of the sale, which is a very small portion of the sale. I'm not even profitable as of yet. But yeah, so they are at least getting some sales and some cool media and starting to ship their product worldwide. Right. So I've got quite a few follow-up questions here. But I want to start with, you mentioned that you don't have investors right now. Do you think that that's something that you're going to eventually explore for Angel for Fashion? Oh, yes. I mean, I would already have an investor if I could find one. But of course, this is the first true business that I've done on my own. And then I have been quite busy over the last year. So I haven't really even had time to explore that avenue. But yes, if you are an angel investor and you like angelforfashion.com, please contact me. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like there would be, if there are any listening, I feel like there would be a lot of people wanting to assist with this effort because I feel like a lot of us, whether inside of fashion or outside of fashion, and you know we're supporting Ukraine, we all just want to figure out a way to help. And so what I'm hoping happens is that with this interview, that there is someone listening that would be able to pass some investment along to you, because this is a really, really solid effort. 
Yeah. I mean, it's been such a success. The first year that we've been in business, I mean, we have sales for almost every brand on the platform. We have sales for every product category. I mean, we've sold our least expensive item, I think it's like $80 or something, all the way up to our very expensive Bob Bassett custom masks. And of course, the gorgeous Swarovski crystal for love gowns. So it has turned out to be a very successful business. And then with me and my experience at Zappos with making sure the customer stays happy, I mean, it is a cool way to support Ukraine without just giving a donation, right? Customers can come on and buy something. They know they're supporting a designer and then they actually get a piece of this designer's collection in their closet. So it's like a win-win for everyone. Of course. And I, over the past couple of years or so of having started Manic Metallic you know, as a fashion media company, I feel like I mentioned this in every podcast somehow, but we created a product called Alternative Fashion Capitals. Now, this was before the Russian invasion. It was November of 2021. And so we basically took 20 fashion capitals that weren't the four that everyone knows about. And we included Kiev in that effort. And we talked about... Okay, nice. Yep, that book's available on our website to see. It's an ebook. And we included a lot of Ukrainian designers there, a lot of Ukrainian stores. Now, I can't say for certain which one of the boutiques and things like that are still there right now, given what's happening. But that was, it was really an awe-inspiring effort because I realized that there's so much talent in Ukraine. It's really fantastic. Well, and we truly believe on multiple fronts that when Ukraine wins this war, I do believe that Kyiv will be a very humongous destination. I think it'll be the new Berlin in terms of going to explore and party there. And then we do think that it will be known as a fashion hub globally, for sure. As it should be, because there's so much there. Mm. How could it not be? Something else I want to mention with Angel for Fashion, it sounds like from what you've said, as a result of what you're doing. You've managed to create more of a collaborative environment and more cohesion with the Ukrainian fashion scene, but also just instilling the confidence in them that we know it's going to be hard, but you can continue your business, you can do this. So I think that instilling that confidence and inspiring collaboration, that's huge right now. Yeah, it's been definitely the coolest time of my career, I have to say. I feel like I'm doing something real, right? Like fashion is kind of a shallow industry. Yep. But in this instance, I feel like I'm doing something that's really helping people, which is incredible. And I even do consult with USAID. So they have a competitive economy program where they give grants to help businesses in other countries grow and export to foreign markets. And that's how you saw me at me at Coterie, because thankfully USAID and their competitive economy program gave us a grant to showcase these six brands in New York City. Right. I was actually going to ask about USAID. How did your consulting role with them come about? You know, I started consulting first with one of their grantees. 
The brand is called 91 Lab. They're actually on Angel for Fashion as well. So I first just got approved in USAID system to be a fashion expert. And then I ended up meeting their chief of party at the time. It was this guy in the summer of 2021. And I pitched him this idea to take four brands to New York Fashion Week. He was like, oh, when's the event? I was like, oh, in two months. He's like, you do know that grants take a long time to, to get. And I was like, yeah, but you can make it happen. Right. Um, and thankfully he did. And in September of 2021, we took four brands to New York Fashion Week, showcased them and got some of them their first U.S. orders, actually. So that's kind of how I got started. So we showed four in September. We showed six in New York the week the war broke out. And then another six in Paris in September. And then this time they really supported the industry hugely. And we did six at Coterie and we did another seven in Paris two weeks later. I'm amazed that this is working out so well. I mean, I shouldn't be amazed per se, because I know that you're obviously a very capable person and that there are a lot of people coming together to just make all of this happen. But I think a better way to describe it would be, I'm really pleased to see that this is working out so well, that so many people are jumping on board. Well, girl, I'm amazed. Okay, so you can totally use that word. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, I trust me, when we had back in the day objectives on our resume, okay, mine was to become a buyer. Many people in the fashion industry never become a buyer, even if they work hard. I reached that goal when I was 30, and I could never in my life have imagined this is what I would be doing. Okay, trust. So every day I wake up and I'm amazed at where I am and kind of amazed to see what's going to happen next. So we've actually gotten through a lot today, Jen. And I'm really, again, happy that we are getting to have this conversation. So one thing that as we get towards the end of the podcast, I want to, it almost seems pointless to ask this because I feel like we've already touched on it in the podcast. But what's something that you're working on right now in fashion that's exciting you? I know that we've talked a lot about Angel for Fashion. We've talked about your consulting with USAID. We've talked about your previous positions. But do you have anything else that you're working on right now that you want to share with us? I mean, I don't know if you'll believe me, but um, I actually am working with one of my friends. He and I met, his name's Kiko Gaspar. He and I met, he was the PR and marketing director at Vivian Westwood when I was at Vivian Westwood America, although he was at the headquarters in London. So I began hiring him to do PR and marketing for these events I was doing in New York and Paris. And after the Paris event, we were having so much fun working together on these events that I said to him like, hey, do you want to work together on PR and marketing? I mean, I've never done really marketing before, but I have enjoyed really doing the my own marketing for Angel for Fashion. And he was like, oh my God, he's like, I so need you as my business partner. So not kidding. I have a new business partner. His name's Kiko. 
and we do oh. have multiple clients now. And we're running, I'm running a, a PR marketing agency with him and having the absolute best time doing it. So yeah, that's yeah, just a, it's like a side project for me, I guess. But you know what, that's just what I was mentioning before is that when you are a person that runs divisions of companies, or you just start your own companies, you kind of thrive off of having these multiple things to do. Having everything be this way one day and then this way the next. And once you start one company, it's like the door is just open wide up and you're like, I've got this idea and that idea and this idea. And it's like domino effect. You do. You do. And I did last year in 2022, I decided to finally leave America. So I was living and working in Los Angeles and spending a lot of my time in Europe and obviously a lot of time with Ukraine. So I finally just decided to rip off the Band-Aid. And last summer, I decided to move to Barcelona, Spain. So I think kind of shutting the door to my life in America and opening a new door here in Europe, it just kind of seems like things are starting to come as well a little faster, right? Because you've got to shut one door to open a new one. Right. Can we talk about that, actually? So you, you left America and you're in Europe right now. You're working. You mentioned that things are coming faster. Why do you think that that is? Do you think that there's a difference in the American fashion industry and how it works and how things work in fashion over in Europe? Why are things working out? No, I just honestly, I got to tell you, I, I've really been leading a double life, meaning half of my time has been in America and half of my time has been in Europe. Literally for so many years. I mean, I've always wanted to live in Europe. I just didn't really know which city. And I feel like once you go and kind of live your dream and make it happen, it just kind of things start coming your way, right? I mean, I do think I had to finally make the move to take the next step in my personal life and, of course, my career. So I think it was more that than. Of course, America is great, but I think I want to spend the rest of my life here on the other side of the pond. Right. I know that there are a lot of people that have decided the same thing recently. Now, for anyone listening to the podcast, could you give them a bit of an idea about what that transition is like leaving the United States and going to Europe or really just we have a pretty big international audience that listens to the podcast, so maybe more so to speak to the transition of leaving one place and adjusting to life elsewhere. Well, I mean, I'm pretty lucky. So I'm a dual citizen. Obviously, I'm American. I have an American passport. And then I am half Italian. So my grandfather was born in Italy, came to America, and had my father before he renounced his citizenship. So it did take me about six years, I think, to get my Italian passport. I did it years ago. And my mom, she's like, I don't know why you're doing this. It's so much work. And trust me, it isn't cheap either. But I did it. And I'm so glad I did because it did award me the opportunity to still travel during COVID with two passports. 
And then now, of course, it makes it a heck of a lot easier to be able to live in Spain. So that's kind of the most tricky part, honestly. And then I would just say moving overseas is not fun. I mean, I did put some of my stuff on a boat. I shipped some things in the air. In hindsight, I would probably never do that again. And then Barcelona is this really kind of multicultural city. And you go to a restaurant and everyone's speaking English. So you're a little bit fooled that like, wow, cool. Like everyone, there's so many tourists. Everyone in Barcelona speaks English. Well, yeah, in restaurants, but still trying to get like all the paperwork done and my electrical set up. They speak Spanish (laughs) and they speak Catalan and I don't. So it has been definitely a tricky move. I've been here since... September. And I am like far from where I want to be in terms of even just like organizing my apartment. Okay. So you got to really want it. I can promise you. Of course. And yeah, moving anywhere, even from city to city, there's going to be an adjustment period, but especially just take that amount of work moving from city to city and just time set by a factor of maybe 10,000 moving to another country. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I have to say the Spanish people have been nothing but nice and I totally love it here. Thankfully, every time I would go to Kiev, I would go to Barcelona after. So I have a ton of friends here, which is great. I haven't had to adjust that way, but yeah, it's, tough. I mean, I literally for up until like a month, month and a half ago, I mean, I had two beds and like a big rug that like I had smuggled in my luggage. So I didn't have a couch or anything. I looked like a college student in this apartment for a long time waiting for my stuff. Right. Right. Well, you've only been there since September. You're going to keep getting adjusted and eventually it's all going to come together oh yes but you know us americans honey we wanted everything done yesterday oh absolutely yeah it's a that that's an attitude that is both the blessing and a curse with us a hundred percent yes it is right so i want to ask you about the fashion industry and the direction that you would like to see it heading in i feel like every time i ask this question of my guest The answer is always sustainability. Everyone seems to want to see fashion head in a more sustainable direction. But could you just give me an idea of what direction that you specifically would like to see fashion heading in, in the near future? You know, sustainability, I guess, is a really boring answer. I mean, thankfully, like my Ukrainian fashion brands, they started embracing sustainability years ago. I mean, mainly because they wanted to save money and make sure that they were using every piece of the material. So I feel like that's kind of even the old answer here. I mean, in my opinion, I would like to see fashion have more of a humanitarian purpose, right? I mean, there is so much that we can all do in this industry to try and help other people and try and help designers and people in countries whose governments are trying to suppress them. 
So for me personally, I want to take this humanitarian aspect of my career now, and I'm hoping to really take it to the next level and possibly even work with other countries even after this that need my help. So that's, I guess, more my focus. And maybe it kind of started with Vivian Westwood and that she isn't, she wasn't just thinking about fashion. But I do think there's just such an opportunity for us in the industry to help the world, right? In so many ways. Yeah. And that's something that I actually, the last guest that I had on the podcast, I haven't come out with her episode, but she actually started to get a bit into, and we've done an episode on this for the Manic Metallic podcast, being a more collaborative industry, collaborating, not competing so much with each other, just being Mm -hmm. more helpful overall. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I'm ready to go visit some new countries now that I'm so close to a lot of new countries I haven't been to. And I'll keep you posted on what's next and what country maybe we even end up adding to our website. Yeah, do keep me posted on that. Because if there's a way that Manic Metallic can help in any of these efforts, or that I personally can help in any of these efforts, you know, I'd like to be of assistance somehow. Okay, I love it. I love it. We'll totally keep in touch. Okay, yeah, sounds good. So if you could, and we've had a really good conversation, really extensive, if you could give one piece of advice to people that are wanting to join the fashion industry or be involved in fashion in some way, if you could give one piece of advice, what would you say to people? I mean, I guess just going back to what I said at the beginning is show up, show up mentally and physically for your position. Be excited to do anything. Realize that you have to work your way up, right? Because we all, for some reason in our 20s, think that we know everything, (laughs) which is so funny. But I did. I mean, I worked many years on a retail sales floor before I was lucky enough to become a buyer. And just be humble and stay humble. I mean, I have one girl, really, that's my brand manager on Angel for Fashion. And there's nothing I will make her do that I wouldn't do to still as the CEO. So I think it's always important to never forget where you came from. Absolutely. And I feel like so many people, because you mentioned earlier, fashion is a, it's a vain industry, just being honest, but with that vanity comes a tendency that, you know, once we start to move up, we, and we generally, not everyone, but we can forget the position that we started out at. It's like, oh, look, I'm going to fashion shows. I'm covering fashion week. I'm buying for some of the top department stores in the entire industry. But you forget that, yep, you started out on a sales floor. You forget that maybe you pitched to a really small blog starting off and then, you know, stuff like that. So that is a really important thing to point out to people, just staying humble. It's another one of those simple things that people tend to throw to the wayside. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. I mean, it was an incredible thing to watch. Of course, again, somebody else that we lost in the world was the great Tony Shea. He did teach me so much at Zappos. And what was cool about him is he really was so humble. It was incredible. 
I mean, the guy basically created ads and advertising on the web, sold his first company to Microsoft when he was like 25 or something for like 26 million. And he was a billionaire when unfortunately he died, but he was the most humble guy. It was just incredible. And so I'm sure, you know, it's funny, it's the people that change and shape our lives. So all of these experiences that I had and the people that I met really, I guess, led me to this moment. Yep. And it's always going to be that way. I feel like for better or worse, and hopefully there's more better than worse, everyone that you meet, everyone that you work with is going to shape you in some kind of way. So that's important to realize when you're dealing with people. And if possible, don't burn bridges. Oh, yeah, for sure. It is key to your success. I mean, even though it seems like a very big industry, it's kind of not. Yeah, certainly. Now, this is a question that I always like to close with. I ask every single one of my guests this. If we were to visit your area where you're based, in your case, it would be Barcelona. So fashion designers or boutiques or concept stores, department stores, anything like that. Can you give us three recommendations for people to visit and just get involved with the local fashion scene or do some good shopping? You know, gosh, I have not had as much time to explore this city as I would like. But I will tell you, I live in Elbourne. So it's a city. It's like, I think it's the second district. It's near Barceloneta, which is where the beach is. And it's near the marina. What's the name of it? And I have got it. It's called Elbourne, B-O-R-N. Okay. And I have got to tell you, there are so many cool shops on these tiny little streets and all of these amazing artists that my suggestion would be is to like walk around these very old streets and discover some stores that, I mean, obviously work for you. And we did just open, I mean, not me personally, but there is a new store that's a few blocks from me called Space. And it is a Ukrainian store with Ukrainian fashion in it. So I even was there discovering some brands I had never seen before. So it's quite cool. Any that you think you're going to put on Angel for Fashion? Um, I don't know if I'm going to put it on Angel for Fashion. There's an artist that I really love his sculptures and artwork. And I will tell you, I'm eyeing a couple pieces maybe to add to my apartment. Yeah, it sounds like you want to do some more decorating to it. So you've got a lot of space to put up some art. I do. Yes, I do need to buy some things for sure. I need some Ukrainian art in here. That's what I need. Well, Ukrainians are a very creative and artistic bunch. So there's going to be a lot to choose from. You just got to find it. I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited we got to talk today. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for being on you. When we met at Coterie and then you started telling me about your story and what you're doing and the designers that you're working with, I thought to myself, I should definitely have Jen on a podcast so that she can tell us more about her career and 
just what all that you're doing for the Ukrainian fashion industry. It really is a fantastic story, like I said. So thanks for being on. Yeah, you're so sweet. And now, of course, since you're talking about my brands, you're definitely an angel for fashion. Yes, I consider it. So thanks again for supporting us, really. Thanks for listening. If you got value out of today's episode, it'd mean a lot to me if you'd rate, review, and subscribe to the Manic Metallic Podcast. Be sure to tell all of your fashion-inclined friends and co-workers about the podcast as well. This would really help us to spread our message about fashion being an art, discipline, and force for societal change. And don't forget to stay in touch with us by subscribing to the Manic Metallic newsletter and following us on Instagram. Feel free to reach out to us through either of those means. I'd love to hear from you. I'll link these all in the show notes. You're the best. See you next episode.